as usual, it came back to, you know, our people can't message in position well. Let's throw training at it. We're discounting too heavily. Throw training at it. Our sales leaders are more managers than they are leaders. Throw some training at it. I looked at my sales leader and I said, no, actually, that's not what we need. I think you train animals, you enable people. And from there, a light bulb went on. He said, so explain this enablement thing that you're talking about. I think it's terribly important to insist on individual values. Learning culture podcast. Initiative, creation, all these things which we value. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than was ever possible before. Learning culture podcast. Teach people to analyze the kind of things that are said to them. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Learning Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Barry, and joining me this week was Roderick Jefferson. Roderick is a keynote speaker, author, and inventor of the name Sales Enablement. It was uh, something I didn't know uh, going into the conversation, and it really does speak to the experience that Roderick has in this industry. Been around since it began and really gave it its name. He has a book out now called Sales Enablement 3.0. And we explore some of the key points in the book, as well as just where my curiosity went into his background. In this episode, you will learn how to get buyers to mitigate the risk in buying from you and how to scale that in your organization. You'll learn about top-down and bottom-up enablement and how to go about that. You'll learn about enablement as a recruitment and retention tool and why that's so important. Why doing assessments is the absolute first thing you should do when starting an enablement function. What impact maturation cycles of companies have on the enablement initiatives. And finally, how to capture tribal knowledge. I found this episode an honor and a privilege to be able to record and to really pick the brain of someone who's been there and done that in the trenches for so, so long. I know you're going to enjoy this one too. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Roderick Jefferson. Roderick, welcome to the show. Andrew, thanks for having me. I'm absolutely honored to be here. It's uh, this is the first time I've interviewed someone who is a professional or was a professional voiceover artist. I feel very um, like imposter syndrome here. <laughs> oh, no, no. The last <laughs> thing you need to worry about is that that was a whole lifetime ago. Yeah, well, it's um, it's definitely going to please our listeners ears to have the velvety voice of Roderick Jefferson on. <laughs> and I am excited to dive into the topic of sales enablement with you. Um, is it? safe to say is it fair to say that you kind of one of the ogs have kind of been around since the beginning um i think that would be fair to say um i look at it about 17 years ago i'm actually the person that coined the phrase sales enablement globally ah. and it's just amazing to see what my baby has grown into i never thought that this would happen well wait tell me that story <laughs> So I was talking to a sales leader and as usual, it came back to, you know, our, our people can't message in position well. Let's throw training at it. We're discounting too heavily. Throw training at it. Our sales leaders are more managers than they are leaders. Throw some training at it. And I looked mm -hmm. at my sales leader being a smart ass, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, actually, that's not what we need. I think you train animals, you enable people. 
Mm-hmm. And from there, a light bulb went on. He said, so explain this enablement thing that you're talking about. And I started to kind of walk through my infantile understanding at that time of what sales enablement was. And it's just taken off. Mm. How, how has it evolved since those early days where you were kind of figuring it out <laughs> as you went along? Well, I, I think in the early years, we were kind of the fixers of broken things and broken people. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of put in place with kind of what IT does. It mm-hmm. was also no differentiation between enablement and learning and development. They thought, oh, you guys all do kind of the same thing. Right. Right. You go in, you fix, you patch. And I said, no, actually, when you really start thinking about enablement, it was really more about kind of breaking out the complexity of kind of practical ideas and then putting in scalable and repeatable process that ultimately leaded to accelerated speed to revenue, increased seller, and then ultimately customers for life. And I said, wait, that was a great pre-COVID. Now Mm. the whole world shifted. Mm. And when I sat down to really write out my book, I thought, okay, I understand where we've been. Where's enablement going? And how can I help with my 25 years of experience to kind of help us usher Mm. into that next level of what I call sales enablement 3.0? So for folks not familiar, what does the 3.0 signify? What was 1.0 and (laughs) 2.0? Sure. So thanks, first of all. Great question. I looked at the stages. I go all the way back to, you know, kind of the outside. I'm selling encyclopedias and and I'm selling vacuums and things of that sort. Right. Mm -hmm. Way back to I've got you've got a need. I've got a good that I can throw at you that can kind of fix again, fix that problem for now. Right. Right. And then I could replicate that. Right. I look at. Sales enablement 2.0, kind of where we hit when things really took off in the tech sector back early 2000s, right? Mm -hmm. What was going on? It was all about platforms. It was all about tools. It was all about scale and automation on a grand stage. Where I look at sales enablement 3.0, again, is where are we going and how are we going to get there? I look at it more as kind of an innovative approach focused on increasing seller productivity through a systematic, personalized, and collaborative approach designed to support buyers and the buyer's journey that will fuel what I'm calling the conversation economy, right? I think there's kind of three steps here. One, how do we help customers mitigate risk? Secondly, how do we help them reduce cost? And third, how are we positioning ourselves as strategic partners across the business Versus, again, being those fixers of broken things. So lots to unpack there. Um, I love that. I, I want to just quickly, because you mentioned the first step being mitigating risk, helping customers yep. mitigate risk. And it's something that's been top of mind for me, especially in this current economy, right? People don't mm-hmm. want to <clears throat> take the chance and like invest in something because that could reflect Absolutely. poorly on them, right? Even if And so they just choose to live with the pain. So what... Um, what have you seen? What are you recommending to folks to, to actually do help buyers mitigate risks? Well, I think the first thing that we've got to change is stop trying to get your buyers to be shoehorned into your sales processes, your sales stages, your sales methodologies. Let's just call it your selling motions, right? Instead, yeah. let's flip that thing on its ear and figure out the buyer's journey. And that is who buys, 
What do they need to buy? Why do they buy? And what do you bring that is a differentiator that you can only get from working with you? Uh-huh. And then I think the the last piece is there's one, and I'm an old sales guy myself, and I made this mistake, and I'm the first to admit it when I was selling. Uh-huh. One of the biggest problems I see is um, we all focus on ROI, right? That return on investment. Yeah. And what we leave out is what's the COI? What's the cost of an action if they do nothing? And we leave it out because we never ask one simple question. And that is, so Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, I understand what's going on with your company. I understand your ICP. I understand what your pain is. What's in it for you specifically? Will it get you a bigger seat at the table? Will it get you out of the doghouse? Will it get you a promotion? Minus that, we're really only talking about 50% of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And how... Well, I don't know if maybe this is an obvious question, but how do you uncover that? Um, It's simple. Ask a question, then shut up and listen. Mm. (laughs) I think a lot of sales folks oversell because they get so excited. They over talk and stay away from what I call bits, bites and bots. Get out of the feature discussion Mm. for one. Secondly, stop assuming that the problem and that you can help fix is that they have pain. It may not be about decreasing pain. It may be about increasing productivity and efficiency. So broaden the horizons to say, am I here to help you increase productivity and efficiency or help you decrease pain? Mm -hmm. Then if you do determine that it's pain, now it's what's the diagnosis that I can help with? Do you need aspirin? Do you need Vicodin? Do you need Valium? Or do you need a tooth extraction? And then work backwards from that position. Now, how do you, as an enabler, scale that across an entire sales organization? Oh, that's the fun part. (laughs) First of all, it starts with thinking about enablement as an ongoing occurrence, not a single event. It's It's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? And how do we help it? I think my... In my humble opinion, Mm -hmm. I have never hired anyone on my enablement team that had not carried a bag in some way. Mm -hmm. They were either a BDR, an AE, or a CSM. And the reason is, how can I talk to that audience with any level of credibility and talk to them about my experience if I've never walked in those shoes? Mm -hmm. The other piece is, back to that marathon piece, think about it as enablement should be a part of the interview process. One, we're looking at beyond just can they hit the number and were they successful in their previous roles, but can they be successful here, i.e., will they be a cultural fit? The second thing we look at is um, the propensity to be able to go through all of the programs that we will put them through. And thirdly, because we have a much higher BS filter than even sales leaders because we got to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you mentioned culture, and I think this is a, a topic very near and dear to, to me. I mean, this is the Learning mm-hmm. Culture Podcast. What role, actually, before I ask this question, what does learning culture mean to you? I, I think it means that you are there for the journey of that learner from before they even come and 
put a, a butt in a seat or join the company. You're getting them prepared. And then it's about asking perpetually, how can we help them versus giving them what we think they need? Mm. It's also about working from top down and bottom up. And what I mean is we are so focused on the sellers, but I don't know if we do a very good job of working with the leaders to make them leaders, not just managers, right? Mm. Unfortunately, for so long, and we've all seen it, you're an absolute rock star seller, what happens? You get promoted to sales leader, but no one teaches you how to be a leader. You've never run a a uh, a process of hiring and firing. You've never even run a team meeting. So what right. do you do? You micromanage and you do what you've always done. You start to manage your team like it was your patch. Mm -hmm. Get away from those pieces. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I actually want to go back to, actually, no, I'm, I'll ask the question I was going to say. So what role does culture play? That's a great uh, description of learning culture as you see it. Mm -hmm. What role does culture play in, in successfully enabling a sales team? It's critical. If, enable not, it, excuse me, if enablement is not woven into the fabric of a company's culture, it will not work and it will die. It'll mm -hmm. only be seen as kind of, compliance and, and tick boxes. What we have to do a, a better job as enablement practitioners is show the value that we bring. Enablement impacts, I, I think, culture in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. One, it sets the tone. If we do it right, enablement can actually be a recruiting tool. Yeah. If we can show what that kind of guided learning path looks like and what the success and the fact that we tie everything back to revenue generating metrics versus what I call smiley sheets and butts and seats. Yeah. We trained 400 people and we got a 4.8. Great. That and seven bucks will get you a latte. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's the first piece. I think also if done correctly, enablement can be a retention tool. Yeah. We make sure that we're meeting the needs of the rock stars as well as the middle of the road sellers all the way down to the people that are struggling and having difficult times. We, as I said earlier, you're working at the leadership level. You're working at the individual contributor and seller level. And we're also working at the C level. And if we are not one of the top five objectives for the company, then we'll never be woven into the fabric of the company. Yeah. I love that. And I, I really, really love, I think this is such an important point of seeing enablement as a recruitment and retention tool. And to me, it gets to the, the, the real like core of enablement, which is people development, right? People are the point, <laughs> right? And right. like, and, and if you show, if you're a place of work that is going to make a seller the best they can be, you're mm -hmm. going to get all the best sellers, right? hundred percent. And you know, it's interesting you say that. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, another enablement practitioner, mm -hmm. and we are so as a, a industry, we're focused on the P's, the processes, the program, the platforms. No, no, no. Let's go back to the very first P. And that's people. We are literally in the people business to make them bigger, faster, stronger, more productive, more effective, and more efficient. If we never forget that piece and we only focus on the people part, all of the others will fall in place. They do. They really do. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I love that. Um, so let's talk about, actually, I had another, um, I'm trying to think of the order of these two questions. 
I think one of the things I've I've learned from from your work is uh, and and because you have I think because you have such a breadth of understanding or an experience right and Thank you've you. seen companies and worked at companies at different stages of the maturation cycle mm -hmm. and so there's no one size fits all for enablement no. and no. you've you've lived that um, where like what what how does understanding where a company is in that maturation cycle play into what you would do to to enable the people there. Well, it starts with an assessment and it, it, I always take an approach, kind of three steps. You listen, then you learn, then you lead. Too many times we dive in and we go into fix mode as enablement practitioners. Guess what? Fix may not be what they need. It may just be some tweaking, right? So start with an assessment. And when you do that, talk to the CRO, of course, we'll talk to the CMO, but I, in the latter stages of my career, I've realized there's another piece we've left out. If you don't talk to the CFO, you'll never get a full picture of where the company's going. Mm. And I don't mean just because they hold the purse strings for your budget, although that's important. Mm -hmm. It's more of going to them and saying, you know what, I understand there are kind of four ways that we can bring revenue into a company, All right, whether it be partners, net new, renewals, uh, et cetera. Right. And then there's the other piece where we've got all of this reserve in the bank that we ultimately hope that we never have to touch. Mm -hmm. Go to that CFO and ask them, what can I do that we're not doing today from enablement to ensure that we prepare our people so we never have to go dig into the savings mm. or the piggy bank? You will be their favorite person on the planet. Yeah. But you'll also be a partner with them. Yeah. If you're going back and saying, okay, those things you told me about, I want to come back and tell you what's happened and what the results are. And what are the impacts and the metrics and the measurements and how we're now accelerating speed to revenue. We're decreasing time to ramp. We're up leveling our sales leaders. Now you're talking about something that materially you can go back and put a hard line figure mm. or a hard, excuse me, a hard number right. to what enablement does right. versus again, being seen as just kind of smiley sheets and butts and seats. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I like that. So the CFO looking at the finance function, um, is do you have some examples of kind of like how your approach differs when based on the maturation cycle? So you know, a company being oh, early yeah. stage or yeah. like anything like particularly stand out that you just wouldn't do in one or the other. Yeah, you know, the the great thing is having being a part of so many small companies all the way up to large companies, and also as a consultant being able to work with those. Mm -hmm. So. A true example, if they are a hyper growth, small startup, let's say your series AB, what's important to you right now? You've got your product out there. You've got your MVP. You understand your ICP, but you don't know how to scale, right? So think about what, if I'm going to look at enablement, what should my first enablement person look like? What should they bring to the table and what should be important to them, right? Mm. Now it's about not just ICP of ideal client per profile, but what is our IEP? What's our ideal employee profile? Mm -hmm. Because as we start to grow, that will morph as well, right? And moving from that small to that midsize, now what's important? Scale, hiring, automation, and scalability over and over and over. So now, how do I ensure that everyone speaks the same language? So let's not talk about certifications because that's a technical term or, or legal term, should I say. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about accreditations to making sure that you're 
able to have your sellers stand and deliver and also practice in-house before they go out and making sure that it's consistent. You've got a scorecard. You're working with the leaders. Now, here's the linchpin to success. That's where starting and working with that first and second line manager is critical. If you don't get them to help you build this out, to own the adoption, the execution, and the positive modeling of this, it's dead. Mm. And then finally, when you get to that large enterprise, it's all about relationships. Mm. It's that long-term and what are you doing to constantly keep them warm and constantly showing value and relevant content to to the buyers along the way. Mm. Does that help? That is extremely. And I would encourage everyone listening to go back and and sort of rewind that section because that is... You know, there are very few people in the industry that have had that lived experience at each of those types of companies. And so that was fantastic. Really, really great answer. Hey, it's your host, Andrew here. I wanted to take a second just to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love it if you did a couple of things for us. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. It really allows us to grow the channel and reach a lot more people like you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, take a moment to leave us a rating and review. It's a great way to give us some feedback and to tell the world what you think about this podcast. So whether you listen to it on YouTube or you listen to it as a podcast, if you take one of those actions, it would mean the world to me and my team. Thank you. And with that, right back to the show. So let's turn turn, uh, our attention, sort of shift gears a bit. So how would you, uh, is a lot of companies that are, kind of pre-enablements like they haven't you know they're they're, let's sort of going from founder-led sales to building a sales org and um, there's a big debate out there of like do you bring an enablement person on you know that early or do you wait Um, how do you what's your take on let's talk about setting up an enablement team from scratch right so whatever Mm -hmm. that is and and maybe you have an opinion on like when that should be maybe that's the starting Mm -hmm. point well I think that if you've got a couple of things that, that jump out at me. And I have these conversations with, with founders all the time. And that is, mm-hmm. do you have time to do everything all the time? Mm-hmm. The answer is always no. So now you, you go to, now let me start talking about when it's time to parse that out. If you've got 10 or so sellers, you need an enablement person because you need someone that's going to wake up and go to sleep thinking about how do I make these people more effective? I'm not worried about how do I get them to hit quota? Nope, sales leader is going to handle that. I'm not worried about the tools per se, the tool stack, although we're a part of that. Nope, sales ops is working on that. Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about the account and the opti plant. Revenue ops has that piece. Mm -hmm. You need someone that is solely focused on making these people, as I said earlier, bigger, faster, and stronger Mm -hmm. in an accelerated fashion. Yeah. So if you're at that point now, if you've got sales leaders that are also moonlighting in their free time yeah. <laughs> that we know does not <laughs> exist, if, if they are responsible for onboarding people and then constantly sharpening their sword, two questions I always ask. At what point do they have free time? And secondly, who's sharpening their sword? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a that's an interesting. The, the last question makes me think about every single enablement person I've met is a lifelong learner, right? They are all mm. like they're so focused on their own pers- professional development, um, and yeah. So, so I think two those are great questions. 
um, when you do, when you get to that point, right? So that was helpful. So now it's kind of, we, we've like, like around 10 sellers. I think it's a helpful mm-hmm. heuristic um, as well for that. Um, how do you go about starting it from scratch? What's, what are the, what are the first things you're looking for? Well, I think there's two routes you can go. You can either a bring in someone externally that has successfully done this at small companies. And I, and I want to put an asterisk there hmm. because if you're going to go grab someone that say has been in a large, I don't know, an Oracle or Salesforce, right? They're not even adept of looking at the kind of problems you're going to have at yeah. a smaller place because they're looking at a large scale. Yeah. So get someone that has done this before or the second option is go and find a consultant that can be validated that has done this before time and time again. And I don't mean once or twice because I don't think you've seen a, what I'll call a full season mm-hmm. if you've only done it a couple of times, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so with between those two, then you sit down with this person. And if the first thing out of their mouth is not Let's do an assessment. You've got the wrong person. Yeah. If they go, oh, okay, yeah, I've done this before. Let me dive in. Mm, you don't know how to do it here. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that comes is an assessment. Again, mm-hmm. talking across sea level, talking yeah. ground across first line and second line managers, yeah. and then all the way down to the sellers. Yeah. From that assessment will help you to determine top down, bottom up. You know where you start? You start with that delta between the two. Mm-hmm. Of what leadership says they should be doing versus the people in the, in the real world going, yeah, but this is how we really do it. Yeah, that delta will determine for you and will be your roadmap of where to go from there. And then is the intervention, for lack of a better word, the 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 sort of first project you work on, is it is it have you is it been the same? You know, is it always onboarding? Is it always is it kind of de- de- very dependent on what you're getting from that delta? Well, the company's going to tell you yeah. from that assessment of where to go, right? Because I think there is a framework, but I don't believe in playbook per se, because I think it's too inflexible. So framework says, all right, if it is hyper growth, let's go back and help write the JD at times, mm-hmm. even be a part of the interview process to help them. The next is, yeah, we've got to get an onboarding because... Now, as I said earlier, let's get that sales leader out of that process of owning, doing this, but keep them in the process of helping to build it. And that's a problem right there. If that's someone that says, oh, I can do this. No. Mm. What you do is you partner with sales leaders to make it happen. Mm. The next is then you look at where are you from a business acumen perspective that's role specific. What are you doing differently for BDRs? AEs for your technical pre-sellers, and then what are you doing for your post-sellers, your CSMs, or your client services, right? Mm -hmm. And how do all of those handoffs ultimately, as I said earlier, tie back to the buyer's journey? Mm -hmm. The next piece is, let's talk about that first and second line manager. What are we doing for them? And how do we sharpen their sword? Mm -hmm. Because they have to do that that reinforcement piece, right? And then the next piece is the measurement. What are the measurements that are important to your sales leader, not to you, the sales enablement practitioner Mm. or or effectiveness or revenue, whatever you may be called. Right. It's not about you. It's really coming in. I usually come in with a whole litany of measurements Mm. and metrics and go of these. How much of the we're going to are we going to be held to as enablement? Yeah. Then work with ops to build out the dashboards 
so that everything is transparent. And at any moment, they can go look at what your value is. And let me stress this. You want to show what your value is, not what you're doing on a daily basis. Mm. And then finally, it's helping to build out a succession plan or career progression. Because like me, I was a BDR. I was an AE. I went to President's Club a couple times. I got promoted to sales leader like it happened. I turned it down. They were blown away. And what I realized there was I enjoyed the process of selling more than I did taking down big deals. Mm -hmm. So your succession planning or your career pathing should have an open end on the back end to say, what if you've been a rock star at the sales role? Mm -hmm. What if you want to go into product marketing, product management? engineering, HR, L&D, or into enablement, and then give them that avenue to get there. Yeah. Does that help and kind of answer where you're going? Not, uh, hugely so. It's very, um, you, you clearly thought about this a lot. Uh, it's very, very structured. <laughs> um, and that goes back to the, the, you know, the people are the points part as well. I yeah. love that, that you ended with um, really thinking about career pathing and, and development tracks for people. Um, I just want to, just to, go back to the measurement point, the one you mentioned before that as well, because it's a topic that comes up often on this. And, you know, you said as well, like, look at, um, you're not trying to measure what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. You're trying to measure your, your impact, your outcomes. Um, but there's often a uh, disconnect or there's, a, there's not a perfect ca uh, causation between leading and lagging indicators in this. What's your, your take on kind of how to um, make sense of all this? Um, first of all, you're absolutely right. There's too many times we're looking at, at lagging indicators. And that's why over the years I've kind of looked and said there are three different ways to really validate metrics. One is the baseline of today. It's kind of year over year, uh, time to first close and, and what's happened in your 30, 60, 90 day journey, right? The next is kind of that gold standard where you're looking at kind of a blended weight model. You're not just looking at the, the first close. You're looking at um, what are they doing from a leading indicator of number of completion, completed yeah. meetings with, with decision makers, increased pop line, um, as well as how fast are you moving things through the yeah. pipeline? Where are you getting stuck and yeah. why are you getting stuck? And that's the other pieces focused on the why, not just the why. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the lagging indicators, not just the first close, because that could have been luck, quite mm -hmm. honestly. It could have been something that was already in play. It could have been a bluebird or a large whale. Mm -hmm. Now you look at second close. You look at number of closed deals, increased ARR or ASP, however you look at it, upsell, cross-sell, renewal rates, quota attainment, and of course, win and loss percentage. Then you've got the world class, which is the granddaddy of them all. And I think maybe 1% of enablement act, um, organizations actually get there. Mm. And that is what I call high value activities. Mm. The leading, now you're looking at um, completion of assessments and, and passing scores. You're looking at um, boot camp completion, mm -hmm. quality of recorded conversations, uh, number of prospects, context, mm -hmm. meetings, demos, field marketing activities and how those are being leveraged. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, now your increased pipeline. Yeah. Then you've got your lagging pieces here. Mm -hmm. That second close, the, all the pieces I talked about, but yeah. you also look at um, time to ramp. You're looking at the pipeline and you're also looking at the validation of how fast you can get these folks through the, the pipe. And let me be very clear. Are they doing it the right way? 
just because it's being done successfully, is it something that can replicate? We've all seen those lone wolves that can crush quota, but they're the last ones you want to put in front of a newbie. And so that's one. The final piece is how are you integrating the experience and value of your legacy sellers? Right. And then finally, how are you harnessing all of that tribal knowledge from the legacy sellers mm. so that if they leave the company and walk out of the building, that knowledge stays there? Mm. Um, I'm trying to think which part to go into here. Let's talk about that, <laughs> that tribal knowledge, because that's that's a big at Curious Line is the thing we focus the most on. So what is what have you seen work well in being because this is this is a concern for all companies. Mm -hmm. right? What what has worked well uh, to to to, lever, to to capture that knowledge? Well, I think first and foremost, remembering that no two people learn the same way. Mm -hmm. So that means you've got to give it to them in digital format. Let's say I get it may be a one pager or it may be a deck or a doc. Other people, I'm visual, so put it into a. Um, into a visual webinar piece or into e-learning other someone may be an audible learner yeah. so now you've got to go out and and create a podcast library from a number of angles of it could be small what i call knowledge bites mm -hmm. those three five minute snippet pieces mm -hmm. of things that you don't do on a regular basis where do you get that go talk to sales ops and find out where they're having the biggest problems and then put a series in place around those pieces, mm. right? That's one. The other side is um, go and talk to, let's say your ICP is the CMO, the CRO, et cetera. Go talk to your own executives here and record them with a series of questions. So you know how to actually have a conversation with them versus giving a presentation to them. Mm. Does that help? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, all right. So to kind of start to bring this to, to, to sort of land this, this ship here, uh, I want to go back to your book and I want to talk a little bit more about 3.0. And um, I want to start off by, by getting an understanding, a deeper understanding of what are the challenges that, that you see sales enablement professionals or sales enablement as a profession? What are the big challenges that they face right now? I think the biggest challenge, again, is coming back to tying everything to revenue impacting metrics. That's mm. one. The second is, and I implore this to my fellow practitioners, stop, stop, stop saying that we drive revenue unless you carry a bag. We do not drive revenue. Mm. We impact and we influence revenue. The third piece is never forget that we're in the people business, which means Never giving your internal customers, I don't call them stakeholders because I think then you're betrothed to them, but making sure that you're always asking them what's working, what's not working, and how can you help with that? And I didn't say fix, but how can you help and partner with? Yeah. And the final piece is never allow yourself to be viewed as a cost center or as the fixers of broken things and broken people. Mm. And I'm assuming if you do all the things that you mentioned in the beginning, right, creating systematic, personalized and collaborative uh, experiences and interventions and all of that, um, you, you're going to solve these challenges. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So what, um, without giving away too much about the, the book or um, uh, what, what is... 
3.0, what does the future look like in, in your mind? Um, I think that it looks like us being infused again into the culture of businesses. It's also, I just describe it this way. Never even saying the word enabled. Think about an orchestra where you've got brass, strings, percussion, woodwinds, all trying to play the right song. But the problem is sometimes they're out of tune. They're playing on top of each other. Well, guess what? The same thing happens inside of a company. Mm. You've got everyone trying to do the right thing on behalf of the prospect or the customer, but sometimes right hand doesn't know what left hand is doing. There's silos, there's disconnects until in both scenarios, one person or organization, what I believe is enablement, steps up, taps the stand, and all of that noise and chaos becomes a beautiful sheet of music. Mm. That is 3.0 moving forward. I absolutely love that you used the word and, and uh, evoked the image of an orchestrator because that has been one of my biggest takeaways from doing this podcast and talking to so many people is that this role is so cross-functional. And like you said, it's a people <laughs> business. It touches so many different functions and people in those functions. Um, it is you know imperative that that person can kind of identify that recognize the strengths of each of those people and those functions leverage those strengths uh in a way that that compensates for weaknesses and others it's um it's truly an, an orchestrator's job yeah, it is and, and what enable what 3.0 will show is being an ivory tower no longer works you've got to get out there we are now and, and i'm sure you'll appreciate this one we have to become the translators of dialects and languages We've got to be able to speak German, French, Dutch, etc. Mm. internally. And that means speaking marketing, product marketing, HR, engineering, sales, going out and meeting with customers, coming back and saying to product marketing, hey, love the first call pitch, but we get to slide five and it gets a little fuzzy. Mm. I've heard it be, I've heard it done seven different ways, six different ways, six different times, excuse me, seven different times, six different ways. Mm -hmm. Can we either smooth that out or take it out? Mm. Then you say to product management, Hey, you know what? I was out and I've talked to 10 customers. They've asked for this same feature. How do we get that bumped up on the release cycle? Mm. Then you go and sit down with HR and say, Hey, you know what? I, I've noticed that again, our ICP, our IEP has changed, ideal employee profile. We may want to start thinking about either here internally or even broadening outside of our industry to look for our new sellers. And then finally, you go back to sales and say, you know what? The way that we've been doing, doing it has been good, but it's not great. And we've moved into a different level of maturation. Why? Not because enablement thinks so, but because I'm out there in the field listening to prospects and customers, and I'm working with your sellers and your, your leaders every day, let's look at things differently. Maybe we need to put together a workshop around disco and qual deeper, or maybe we've got a problem with objection handling, or we have a disconnect between the front of the house sales and the back of the house with CSMs. What can we do to kind of tighten that up and close that gap between the two? At that point, you are now a true orchestrator focused on three things, communication, across everyone, mm. collaboration of everyone working and rowing in the same direction, and finally, orchestration to make sure that it's done so that it's now scalable, automated, and repeatable. Mm. 
That's beautiful. That that, that really is. And it's it, it sounds to me like you're saying that you get the 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 transcendent path, the transformative path for a tr like a truly great enabler is going from understanding that people are at the core and getting that right to eventually enabling the entire sales or revenue motion. Absolutely. I, we in 3.0 we become a go-to-market function. Mm. We're not just about sales. You've yeah. got to talk to everyone that touches the entirety of again the buyer's journey. Well, Roderick, this has been absolutely fascinating. I want to thank you so thank much you. for your time. It's been, I mean, just a privilege to be able to kind of pick the your brain and, and that experience that, uh, that that you've accumulated over the years. Um, I want to give you the, the last sort of word here. Um, where would you encourage folks go to learn more about the work you're doing, the book, you know, and connect with you? Thanks for that. I always say, Andrew, if you can't find me on social media, you're not really trying. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Roderick Jefferson. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Roderick underscore J underscore associates. You can go out to Amazon or anywhere you find you buy your books, ebooks, audiobooks, etc. Mm -hmm. And you can buy the book Sales Enablement 3.0. And for anyone that's still on Twitter, I think I've still got a presence out there somewhere. <laughs> I haven't been there in a while. Yeah, same. <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll include uh, all those links in, in the show notes. And um, yeah, the, the, um, oh, if you, if for those who don't know, if you get the audiobook, you will get to enjoy the velvety voice of Roderick Jefferson himself. Thank you very much. I appreciate it that. So, Roderick, thank you so much for coming on the show. My absolute honor again. Thanks so much. Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's Andrew again with a quick message. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us ratings and reviews where you listen. If you're on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe buttons and feel free to leave a comment. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to give us a rating and leave a review. Once again, we love hearing from our loyal listeners. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please hit the follow button to make sure that you don't miss new episodes as they come out. See you next week for another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening.